0: Hello, this is Supriti from newslaundry.com, bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Wednesday, the 7th of July. India recorded over 43,000 new COVID-19 cases in the last 24 hours, pushing the country's overall count to 3.06 crore. This is a 26% increase from the daily infection counts recorded on Tuesday. The death toll rose by 930. The total fatality count now stands at 4.04 lakh. All these figures, however, are widely believed to be undercounts. According to the data released by the Union Health Ministry, a total of 36.13 crore beneficiaries have been vaccinated so far, out of which 36.05 lakh received their shots yesterday. Union Health Ministry Joint Secretary Lav Agarwal yesterday said that tourists visiting hill stations were not following COVID-19 appropriate behaviour. He warned that the centre may reintroduce restrictions if people do not follow pandemic norms. With a positivity rate of over 10 per cent in as many as 45 districts, the pandemic has become a cause of concern in the Northeast states. Dr. Balram Bhargava, a member of the country's COVID 19 task force and Director General of the Indian Council of Medical Research, flagged that the Northeast will have to set up COVID testing and keep a close watch on the test positivity rate at the district level. He also recommended setting up micro containment zones. Meanwhile, the BJP government in Uttarakhand has cancelled the annual Kanwar Yatra in the state, citing the pandemic. On Tuesday, the state's police authorities had appealed to officers of neighbouring states to stop devotees from coming to Haridwar for the annual pilgrimage. The yatra was not held last year as well due to COVID restrictions. Globally, COVID-19 has infected over 184.5 million people and killed more than 3.99 million since the pandemic broke out in December 2019. Yesterday, the union government created a new portfolio called the Ministry of Cooperation. The official statement by the Cabinet Secretariat read, and I quote, This ministry will provide a separate administrative, legal, and policy framework for strengthening the cooperative movement in the country. End quote. The Secretariat also said that the ministry will work towards streamlining processes for ease of doing business for cooperatives. The formation of the ministry was one of the announcements made by Finance Minister Nirmala Sitharaman in her budget speech in February. Meanwhile, Education Minister Ramesh Pokhriyal and Health Minister Harshvardhan resigned this afternoon from the Council of Ministers. A new Education Minister is likely to be sworn in at 6pm at Rashtrapati Bhavan. Earlier this morning, Labor Minister Santosh Gangwar and Minister of State for the Ministry of Women and Child Development Deba Sri Chaudhary also resigned from the union cabinet today. There have been a total of 11 resignations that have come so far amid speculations of a cabinet reshuffle and expansion. There has been no formal announcement on the reshuffle till the time of recording this podcast. However, according to Scroll, reports suggest that it could take place this evening. The Union Government yesterday urged the Supreme Court to transfer petitions filed in High Courts against the new information technology rules to the Apex Court. The High Courts of Delhi, Bombay, Madras and Kerala have been hearing petitions challenging the IT rules. According to Hindustan Times, the Centre sought the transfer of petitions from the High Courts to avoid multiplicity of proceedings and to ensure uniformity in the consideration of the rules under challenge. The Delhi High Court has been hearing two petitions challenging the centre's regulations. One of the petitions was filed by the Foundation for Independent Journalism, the founder and editor of the News Minute, Tanya Rajendran, and WIRE founding editor, M.K. Venu. The other plea was filed by news website, The Quint. Media outlets have argued that the rules will allow the government to directly control their content. However, on June 28, the court had refused to stay the centre's notice to digital news portals for complying with the new information technology rules. Other petitions filed in the Bombay, Madras and Kerala High Courts argued on the similar basis. The new IT rules constitute a set of sweeping regulations framed to regulate social media companies, streaming and digital news content. It also for the first time virtually brings them under the ambit of government supervision. Today, The Wire, Quint and Alt News were refused interim protection against coercive action for non-compliance with the new IT rules by the Delhi High Court. The three news platforms are among several others who have challenged the rules that appear to go against the fundamental principle of news and its role in a democracy. In a letter sent to Prakash Javedkar, Minister for INB, and Ravi Shankar Prasad, Minister for Electronics and IT, Digipub News India Foundation, of which news laundry is a part, stated that while self-regulation of all news media was imperative and the need of the hour, the rules gave the government vast powers that ran counter to the principle of freedom of expression enshrined in the Indian constitution. Censorship of news is the most fundamental warning sign of a failing democracy, and this is exactly what we as independent news publishers are fighting against. While you may think that this does not affect you, you could not be more wrong. It is you who should control what news is relevant and what is not. It most definitely should not be dictated by the government in power. So take charge of your news consumption today and subscribe to News Laundry. We are free from the clutches of government and corporations because we do not rely on them for revenue. We look to you for support and are thus able to bring you stories that matter. For instance, you will find several detailed stories about Stan Swami on our website, including a report by Anumeha Yadav. Anumeha tells the story of Damodar Thuri, who is the national coordinator of the Vistapan Virodi Janvikas Andolan, a coalition of anti-displacement movements across the country. He was jailed for his activism for nine months, and Swami had fought for his release. The report details Swami's life's work through Damodar's eyes, and is titled, Father Stand Stood By Me, A Life Devoted to Jharkhand's Adivasi and Mulvasi Communities. While you're there, you can also read Anuradha Bhassan Jamwal's piece on how for the last 70 years, women have been invisibilized in the Kashmir interfaith marriage narrative, as the larger demons of community and honor take over. Her report is titled, Kashmir Interfaith Marriage Rao, For Politics of Hate and Honor, A Woman Must Perish. Fugitive entrepreneur Mehul Choksi has filed a judicial review plea in the Dominica High Court. The plea seeks to quash the proceedings against him in the country. According to Caribbean website Nature Isle News, the plea alleged that the decision by police officers to charge Choksi for illegally entering Dominica was not taken independently. The plea cited 23 grounds on which Choksi should be granted relief, including the allegations against the Dominican police officials that they allowed themselves to be dictated by third parties, namely representatives of the Indian government. Therefore, the plea asked that the court rule their decisions as unlawful, null and void, and of no effect. Choksi also sought a permanent order staying the criminal charge brought against the applicant for breach of Section 27A of the Immigration and Passport Act. Furthermore, the petition also urged the court to quash the criminal charges under the Immigration and Passport Act. Shoksi is wanted by the Central Bureau of Investigation and the Enforcement Directorate in India in connection with the 13,000 crore rupees Punjab National Bank fraud case. He was held in Dominica on May 26th after he allegedly fled Antigua and Barbuda. Yesterday, the Parliamentary Standing Committee on Information Technology questioned the Ministry of Information and Broadcasting about the proposed amendments to the Cinematograph Act. The committee, led by Congress MP Shashi Tharoor, asked the Ministry of Information and Broadcasting to explain the need for the provision that empowers the government to order the re-examination of a film already cleared by the Central Board of Film Certification. In this regard, the committee cited a 2000 Supreme Court order which noted that the centre could not have revisional powers over films already cleared by the Central Board of Film Certification. However, the Information and Broadcasting Ministry told the committee that the central government could only invoke the super-censorship clause in case the film had an impact on national security and integrity. The members of the parliamentary committee deemed the explanation unsatisfactory. Several filmmakers, academicians and students had drafted a set of suggestions in response to the proposed amendments. The critics had argued that the new provisions will render the filmmakers powerless at the hands of the state and more vulnerable to threats, vandalism and intimidation of mob censors. Calcutta High Court Justice Kaushik Chanda today recused himself from hearing West Bengal Chief Minister Mamata Banerjee's petition challenging the Assembly election results in Nandigram. However, the court fined the Chief Minister 5 lakh rupees for the way in which she sought the judge's recusal. Following the observations, Justice Chanda said, and I quote, A judge also has voting rights and political leanings like any other citizen. However, previous associations of a judge could not be considered as apprehension of bias as it would lead to bench hunting. He added that troublemongers will try to keep the controversy alive if he did not recuse himself from the matter. On June twenty fourth, Banerjee moved a petition in the Calcutta High Court seeking Chanda's recusal from hearing her plea she cited the likelihood of bias on the basis that Justice Chanda was associated with the Bharatiya Janata Party during his days as a lawyer. The Gaza Rapid Damage and Needs Assessment Report, published by the United Nations, the European Union and the World Bank, has found that the socio-economic situation in the Gaza Strip has been severely weakened as a result of the Israeli offensive in May. The report estimated that the damage caused by the 11-day bombardment was between $290 million and $380 million, while the recovery needs are projected at between $345 million and $485 million. The report further added that 62% of the population of Gaza is food insecure, while poverty rates rose above 50% before the escalation. At least 8 lakh people do not have access to clean water. Furthermore, the coronavirus pandemic has worsened an already weak healthcare system. The RDNA report concluded that most of the damage in Gaza was caused to social sectors, such as housing, healthcare, education and social protection and jobs, at an estimate of $180 million. Recommending that the international community increase its support and assistance programs for the Palestinians in Gaza The report also called on Israel to provide access to some vital materials for reconstruction in Gaza. That's all the news we have for you today. Stay safe and hold on during these trying times. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent